Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Good morning. As you turn to a familiar passage of scripture in John chapter 3, you want to just stick your uh, thumb right there in the scripture and we will get there. You know, every time we worship with the song, Good, Good Father, it takes me about five minutes to recover, right? Because what kind of thoughts do we have, right? We know or we, we think we know, we believe, we read in the Word of God that, that God is a loving Father, a forgiving Father, a merciful Father, and He is all of those things to us and for us. And yet sometimes we think about our relationships here on earth Uh, with our own earthly fathers, Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we like to say sometimes, and maybe uh, challenging times as a father yourself. Well, today is not Father's Day, but our theme, our theme for Easter this year is the big three, and I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, this in the next three weeks. Um, next week, Easter Sunday morning, Jalen will be preaching Resurrection Sunday, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Jalen will bring it on Easter Sunday. And then the 24th, Anthony will preach and finish up the series on the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit at Easter. So we're excited about that. I'm excited that we're sharing that this year. So... We're going to talk about the big three of Easter today. We're going to talk about the loving Father. God, please bless your word. Take these simple words, Lord God, uh, your word from your Holy Spirit, empower it and teach it and put it, Lord God, into practice in our lives. May we be humble hearers and receivers of your word and then go out and be doers of your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So today, you've heard this scripture a thousand times, right? It's on hanging over, to, hanging over to rafters in the stadiums every year in the NFL. The Word of God says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So we hear today a loving Father who sent His Son Jesus, the only one in the history of the world or throughout eternity that was qualified to come to earth to be both man and God and to live a perfect life. But the Father sent Him. Jesus came willingly, but we're taught in the Word of God that God sent him, his father, sent his only son. So the Bible does not explicitly uh, teach the Trinity view of God, but the teaching that God is one and that three persons, God clearly implies this view, says one of the smart guys that I like to read every week to keep me honest. The second century uh, Tertullian said this about the Trinity, Um, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. (laughs) I just thought that that was, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. And today, three things, right? If you're taking notes, you'll see them up there in a minute. 
Um, there, that, could stay, that could stay right there for a minute. But we're going to talk about the fact that God is a loving father. Secondly, that God is a giving father. Thirdly, that God is a holy father. But when we talk about um, the big three of Easter, we're talking about the unity of the Trinity. This is part of the mystery of our faith. It is unique to Christianity. We believe in one God. I'm not going to try to convince you um, because I will ultimately say something wrong. But let's see what the Word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So the Shema, the Jewish confession of faith, if you and I were good little Jewish boys and girls, we would learn this when we were children and we would recite these verses as part of our family devotions in our home. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So we believe in the three in oneness of the Trinity. Say, well, pastor, I don't know, man, that sounds a little wild to me. But God in creating the earth, if you remember in Genesis chapter 1, we have this beautiful picture in the very first chapter of the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Genesis 1-2, when the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, so the Spirit is moving over the surface of the waters. God is about to create. And then in verse 26, right? It's been six days of creation, or five days of creation, and it's time to make man. Then God said, then in the Hebrew, Elohim, often used as a plural form in Hebrew, a plural form of God's name. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the bird of the sky and over the cattle and so on. So, so is God just messing with us? Why would he say this? He said, let us make man in our image. We already have the Holy Spirit present in creation with God. And then if we were to go, if we were to go, and we have to do this at some point in time, and we're doing it today. If we went to John 1, 1 through 5, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. For by Him or through Him all things were made, and without, 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 and, yep, I did it. Nothing was made that was made. You know, if you memorize the Bible in the King James when you're a kid, if you don't stick with your these and thous, it, okay. But that John 1 passage is so important because it teaches us that Jesus was present with God and with the Holy Spirit in creation. So, so we have this doctrine of the Trinity that we believe that is so essential to our faith as Christians, right? Some people would say they, they don't know the Lord or they don't understand. And sometimes we wonder if we do. If they say, how can you believe that? We do. We have an intelligent faith, but it is a faith. This is part of the mystery of our faith. So we have this theology throughout the word of God teaching us we believe in one God. And we believe he makes himself known to us in three persons. If I was doing a children's sermon this morning, and maybe it would have been more fun, I probably should have. 
I would take an egg. And we have these little metaphors. They, they always fail ultimately, right? If you keep asking questions, they will fail. But we have an egg, right? And I could crack the egg and, and you would see the egg shell and the white part of the egg and then the yellow, the yolk of the egg. And it is one egg and it's in, you know, in three parts. And we like that, right? Um, sometimes even with adults, I'll, I'll have something up here and I'll have the, the analogy or the metaphor of water, right? So we, water comes in a liquid and a solid and a vapor, right? You could have an ice cube, a glass of water, and a poof of some hot, some hot steam and a coffee mug or something. And we have these pictures. Ultimately, they don't stand up, but they give us a picture in our minds of three-in-oneness. So we have um, also, I don't want to miss 1 John 1, 7. Uh, if you work with me, I did not put them all up on the screen. Um, oh, you can jot them down. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that testify. And the word of God continues. The spirit and the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. And then in verse 9, if we receive... The testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. So now here we have John writing this letter and he's saying, and he's saying there are three that testify, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have this, this very brief six minute, seven minute overview of the theology of the Trinity but it's important. It's Easter. Jesus came. He died. We celebrate his resurrection because he conquered sin and death. But God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all active. We're all active in providing for our salvation. So, number one, we're going to see that God is a loving Father. God is a loving father. Now, we go all the way back to the Old Testament, and we think about the eternality of God and God's omniscience, right? God knows everything. God's kind of like God's kind of like your mom when you were 8 years old, right? You did something, you thought you didn't get caught, right? Chilling, you come in for lunch or something, mom's got that look on her face, right? And you're like, mm, "Does she really know?" Mm. I'm not telling on myself. I'm going to have to ride this one out, right? There she brings that bologna sandwich over to you and some chips, and she's being all nice, right? But you think, somewhere in there you're thinking, mm, she's still got that look on her face. Then all of a sudden she brings over your Kool-Aid, she looks at you again, and you're like, oh, she knows. She just knows. Why? When you're eight years old, mom knows everything, you know? And you just think you're getting away with something. Well, and so it is with God, right? God knows, and how does he? Um, in God's omniscience, he knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows each and every one of our present. And he knows the future. So from eternity past, God knew he was going to create us in his image. He knew he was going to love us. And he also knew we were going to mess it all up. How is it, how is it that from eternity past, Jesus knew that as God's son, if you will, knew that he was going to have to come. He knew anyway, right? So we have the omniscience and the eternality of God here as well. But let's talk about God's relationship with his people. God is a loving father. I, and we have to go back to the Israelites and hear what God said to them. Um, 
As a matter of fact, I'll back up one verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Why did God choose the Israelites? Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you were fewer than all the other people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here is what God is saying uh, through Moses, who is writing this book. He's saying several things. One, I didn't choose you guys because you were all handsome, pretty, and the strongest nation and the biggest nation. You were the most popular kid in class. No, God didn't choose them for all of those reasons. He chose them. He chose them because he loved them. We don't understand that. I, you know, sometimes I don't understand why God still loves me some days, right? You ever have one of those? You probably don't have those days. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Say, Lord, after what I said, after, after what I said to so-and-so, you know, they just got a little too cute, Lord, and it slipped out, of, you know. Or, Lord God, why did I do that, right? Um, you know, kind of like Will Smith last week. Oh, Lord, why did I do that? But God said, God's love for you and me, God's love for the children of Israel, I did that. God's love for the children of Israel was not based on their performance. You do not have to perform for the Lord. God doesn't say you sin 21 times this week or today. <laughs> you sin 21 times this week. You're up five from last week. Charlie, I'm not feeling you this week, man. I think I'm just going to... Uh, I'm, I think I'm just going to put you on hold or I'm just going to leave you out there, Charlie. You're just, you're not, you're not living up to the, that's not how God loves us. That's not how God loved the children of Israel. So what do we see? God chooses us because he loves us. If you have heard the gospel and you have responded to Jesus and confessed your sins and you are his child, truthfully in this family relationship we will see today, Jesus refers to us as his brothers because God is our father because we've been adopted. But here I get ahead of myself. We see God talking to the children of Israel. God choose, chose them because he loved them. God is a promise keeper. This keeps pop, this popping up in my life lately. Yeah, Charlie, if you say something, you need to do it. I'm going to do that imperfectly. At some point, I will let you down. If you've known me for more than a couple months, I have probably already let you down. But this is what God says. God is a promise keeper. How do I know? Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. God is a promise keeper. God promised that he was going to be their God. This is called a covenant relationship. This is why marriage is called a covenant relationship. Here is what God says. No matter what you do, Charlie, in this relationship, I'm going to be faithful to you. Think about that in marriage, that each partner is saying to the other, no matter what you do, I'm going to be faithful to you. Wow. This is a covenant relationship. God loves us so much that he enters into these relationships with each one of us. You know, you ever have that friend 
You ever have that friend in school or, or your, like your bestie from your, your college days? And one of the reasons you figure out later on that you were best friends all those years, or that was a person you could always count on, it had nothing to do with what they had or didn't have. You just loved them, right? You might not have ever even said it, right? Like, dudes, we're not, come here, give me a hug, I love you. But, but you love that person and they love you. And sometimes you don't even think about it until you look back. But there was like, at that time, there was nothing they could do wrong, right? That was your friend, right? They cared for you, they had your back, right? They were gonna be with you no matter what. Yeah. This is, this is how God, this is how God treats us when we enter into that covenant relationship with him. So, God is also faithful. We have said that God is merciful. God is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. He is a loving father. Therefore, if you are his child, there is nothing that you can do to make him stop loving you. Now, some of us, we like to test him, right? We, we do some stuff, right? But, but God, if, you know, um, every now and then, you know, my dad, I had a good, I have a good father on earth. Not everyone has had that same experience as I have. There were a couple times in my life where I was not a pretty person. Uh, I would be embarrassed if you forced me to tell you a couple of these stories. And um, there was two times that stick out in my mind when my dad came and got me out of two very embarrassing situations and didn't mock me in the process. Because in one, I almost died, and in another, I, well, yeah. So my dad didn't, he, he, he waited. He didn't think less of me. Why? Because I'm his son. He loves me, right? He's an imperfect father. He, God is our perfect father. My daddy is imperfect, but yet there were those times, there were those times in my life, right, um, when dad comes and gets you out of jail or uh, dad does some other things and he's just there. He's just there. Yeah, the loving father. So he's merciful, right? Our Heavenly Father is merciful, and He does it perfectly, okay? He does it perfectly. God is our Redeemer. He told the children of Israel He bought them back. When He got them out of Egypt, He said, I have redeemed you. Blood was shed. Blood was shed and placed over the lentils of the homes, and that is how the, Israel, the Jews survived and got out of Egypt. God was their Redeemer. He said, I redeemed you because I loved you. See, God says to you through Jesus Christ today, I, I want to redeem you because I love you. Don't want to steal Jalen's thunder next week. I'm going to stop right there. But God is the loving father here. God is the loving father here. God is also just though. Let's not play, right? I'm just going to, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just keep it real, right? But he talks about in this Deuteronomy chapter 7 in the next verse, he talks about um, that, that obedience and that, and that God has to execute judgment, otherwise he's no longer a holy and just God worthy of our praise. So God is just as well. And, and we have to say that. Why? If God can't handle all that, then he's no longer God, right? Y'all know we've been doing this for a while, right? The nature and character of who God is matters, right? God has to be just in order to deal with sin, right? Right. And so God, when it comes to sin, does not play. But he loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God is the loving father. All right. Next slide. 
oh my, I'm not done yet. Jesus answered and said unto him, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word and my father will love him. And we will come into him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So Jesus says, God sent me. I'm bringing you his word. And he says, and if you love me, you will follow my word. So and then he says, and my father will love you too. So we have the loving father. This is who God is. He is holy. He is just. But he's a loving father ready with forgiveness for those who will call on them, on him. Secondly, no, yes, God is a giving father. God is a giving father. Directly related to his love, right? I'm not telling you things you don't know. But today as we're approaching Easter and as you think about Good Friday when Christ went to the cross, these are the things I hope we'll remember. God is a loving Father. We also know that God is a giving Father. Um, I'm going to turn to Romans 8.15, and we're going to see some things about how God displays His love towards us. One, God gives us a new family. You heard the language I, I, I went... I, I, I referred to it a moment ago. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. It's just that word. um, It's it's just that Aramaic word for God, for Daddy. Hey, we become his children. And then you see in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit resides in you and with you and confirms that. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you are now my child. You know what? I've met folks and, and, and it's challenging because I have great compassion for them and they don't feel that they have anyone. I don't have anyone in my life. Pastor, I'm lonely. Pastor, I burned all my bridges, but, but I, I don't have anybody. Um, Pastor, I feel alone. The family that God provides is our forever family, right? Family is family. That's what you got. You only get one, right? I could tell you some stories about my family. Make your hair stand up, your toes curl. But y'all all got, you got some of them in your family too, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of us might be them, right? <laughs> no, not in, this, not in this room. But we don't get to choose our family, do we? But yet God loves us and chooses us. He's a giving father. This, this idea of family changes our lives. God is a trustworthy, perfect father. I can go to him. But you know what else God provides for family? He provides church, the people. He provides people. God uniquely and strategically places people in our lives to be part of that family as well. God is our father. Jesus refers to us as brothers, right? Because we're adopted into his family. He's God's son. 
but, but there's something special that each and every one of us, in a, anyone, a group, in a church room, you two are family, each one that knows Jesus Christ, right, filled with the Holy Spirit, because we are all God's children. In church, sometimes people say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. There are areas down south where they do that, and I kind of like that. Calls them, uh, sometimes they'll even call the pastor. He will ask them, call me brother. So it'll be brother so-and-so or instead of pastor so-and-so. Why? Because we have that family relationship now because of God our Father and Jesus Christ. Yes, our Savior, Redeemer, but also our brother. God, and you ever heard people say, um, God don't have no stepchildren. As a matter of fact, in the ancient Near East, in um, those times, if you were adopted, if you had no family and someone adopted you, that was huge. And legally in a Roman Empire, uh, in, in, in the culture there, you would literally have even, you would have some different rights, some would say more, even than a biological child. Because a lot of ado adoption just really didn't take place. And if you lost you know, you lost your family, you were just kind of out there. It was pretty sad. But if someone adopted you, it was very special. It was very special. And um, that's why we say sometimes God don't have no stepchildren, poor grammar and all. Why? Because, because you have been supernaturally in that relationship because of Jesus, because of God, you've been supernaturally brought into God's family. We shouldn't be, excuse me, that is a place that we could all call home. I've never been a lonely person to speak. I've always had family at home, <laughs> loud, boisterous, <laughs> but family, right? And, but if you do struggle with loneliness in your life, you do have your heavenly father who loves you that you could talk to all day. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, so you are never alone. And God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. And if you choose to, because it does require action on your part and mine, you can also have a family in a local church. There are several in this community that I know preach the gospel and love of Jesus Christ, including us. And we will be your family as well. So God does these things. He gives us family. God gives us a Savior. In Mark 14, 36, and again, uh, Jalen, we're just going to go there for a moment. Brother, I'm not going to jump into next week. Mark 14, 36 says this. That's not right. It says something, y'all. Had to forgive me. You have to take my word for it. Typo. Yeah, feel like you missed something. And then certainly God gives us his presence. Forgive me. Go to Galatians chapter 4 if you would like. Otherwise, I will read it for you. Galatians 4. We talk about, talk about fathers and sons. I'll start in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And there that is again. Uh, there is that word again, Abba, Father. And even in verse 7, he says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you become God's son or daughter and you are adopted into his family, you now have an inheritance. Your inheritance is the presence of God residing in you. Your inheritance is eternal life. Your inheritance is even, watch this, God sharing his glory with you because of Jesus. Did you know that God did that? When God looks at you now, he sees you through Jesus Christ. He sees you through Jesus Christ. He's seeing his own glory in you. Because he has chosen, he loves you so much, he has chosen to share that with you. Now these are things that we believe, but it's so precious. Uh, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you... Someone may have let you down in your life and, and you don't trust people. Someone was supposed to be there and they're no longer there. God says, that won't happen with me. But we have an inheritance. You have something to look forward to. You will spend eternity not sitting on a cloud stroking a harp either. You will spend an active eternity in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You have an inheritance the God that created this earth, the universe, the God who is the eternal and only true God is now your father. So not only is God a giving father, gives us a new family, gives us a savior, gives us his presence. Lastly, God is a holy father. God is a holy father. Uh, there is something I do want us to see. Number one, our sin problem has to be addressed. God is holy. In Isaiah chapter 53, you know I'm going to sneak it in somewhere. I am not going to let Easter get by without talking about Isaiah chapter 53. So, our sin problem has to be addressed, but listen to the audacity of what God does. He's talking about Jesus 700 years before he was born through the prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying that the Savior is going to come. You are familiar. Verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. But watch this. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now look over at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Listen, Jesus was crushed for our iniquities because the Father was pleased to crush him. God was never out of control of the sin problem. God crushed his own son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf. Say, oh, pastor, no, he didn't. I say, yes, he did. I know, right? Why would he do that? Because he loved you so much. And he didn't force Jesus to do it. Jesus went willingly. Jesus willingly obeyed his dad, his father. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief on your behalf and mine. 
So God shared his son on earth with us for our salvation. Secondly, God sent, God sent Jesus into the world. You've got to hear, you've got to hear this verse. This one is right because I recognize it well. John 17, 18. Jesus has this conversation with God the night before, with, with God the Father the night before he goes to the, the day before he goes to the cross. John 17, 18, listen to this. I love this whole chapter. I was really torn about preaching in this chapter or doing what we're doing today. As you sent me, Jesus is speaking to the Father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As a matter of fact, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus has said, God, you sent me into the world. Now I've saved them and I'm sending them into the world. Speaking of those, his followers, uh, uh, followers of Jesus, new Christians. But so we have this, this, this certainty that God sent Jesus into the world. And as a matter of fact, Jesus sanctifies us and sends us out into the world as well. But God is also doing something else. He's making us holy through Jesus. He's making us holy, not full of holes, holy through Jesus. Again, I just read that in verse 19. The, 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 the saving work of Jesus Christ is also then the sanctifying work of God in our lives through Jesus. Sanctified simply meaning that God is making us more and more like him. Because of Jesus, we are being continually being forgiven, purified, and growing closer. Hopefully, more like him. Sanctified. Lastly, God knew from eternity past that he would save us. Look at verses 24 and 25 in that same chapter. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The Father and the Son are having this conversation. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And of course, Jesus says, I have made, my, I have made your name known to them. You know, this is this idea Jesus' role was to make God's name known to us. That's glory, by the way. We are to make God's, God, we are to make God's name great. Don't make me go back to Genesis 12. We'll start all over and I have to order lunch. But we are to give God glory. It is about making his name great. And even Jesus said, Father, you sent me to make your name great so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The love of the Father towards you, the love of Jesus for you as a follower of Jesus. God knew from eternity past how he would save us. Adam and Eve sinned. God didn't say, oh my, what are we going to do now, y'all? He was already in control. We had, Adam and Eve had that freedom. If they did not have that freedom to live, then love was not involved. They were being coerced. So we certainly know that's not the case, right? God gave them free reign in the Garden of Eden. And he gave them a commandment and they disobeyed it. But nonetheless, right? So, so we have a holy father who has to deal with our sin problem. So he sent Jesus into the world. He's making us holy through Jesus. And he knew from eternity past that he was going to save us. How he was going to save us. We have a loving father. We have a giving father. And we have 
a father who is holy. So my challenge today for us as we enter into this Holy Week and as we prepare for next Sunday, which is an Easter celebration, amen, when Christ raised from the dead and conquered sin and death on our behalf, Jalen will bring the word next week. But do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Savior? Is God your Holy Father? Have you been adopted into his family? Are you his child? He loves you, but because he is a just and holy God, we have to come to him confessing our sins. So again, this holy week, uh, I hope and I pray that God is your daddy and Jesus is your savior and that the Holy Spirit lives in you.